0: everybody. Welcome to your weekly sermon from Brad Tuttle Ministries. I am so glad that you have joined me today. Uh, We're going to stay in this really powerful topic of the authority of Jesus. I did want to, for any of you that are interested, just follow up again on our ministry trip to Ohio. It was uh, fantastic. Those of you who support us, you know that you get a newsletter um a report on anytime we do that and my wife sends out that well-written beautiful newsletter out to everybody and uh first of all we thank you for your support because it, it equips us to be able to do things like that but uh you read some of the rep- things that happened and for those of you that didn't there, there's just some exciting things that took place a lot of lives were changed and we prayed uh we do a lot of altar work there so it's not just preaching teaching a sermon it's then you pray people pray for people the altar i still love that that some churches still do that because a lot can go on in people's lives when you're laying hands on them for healing or just for, you know, uh, some of the situation that they're going through in life. And uh, that it was a powerful time of uh, my wife doing this together, ministering together. It was great. So thank you for your prayers while we were there. It went wonderful. And we're believing for a lot more ministry opportunities to open up for us to preach here and abroad. Amen. Somebody say amen to that. So again, we're going to stay in our series, The Authority of Jesus. I love this. I love putting these together because this builds my faith um, as you share these different accounts of what Jesus accomplished through his power and his authority. And uh, we've talked about him cleansing the leper. We've talked about him calming the storm. And this one is one of my favorite ones just because it's just so awesome. Uh, we're gonna, We're going to be in Matthew chapter 14, verses 13 through 21, but the title is The Feeding of the 5,000. I'm trying to keep the titles just basic so it explains what what we're talking about, not giving it some fancy fancy thing like, you know, whatever. Um, So the feeding of the 5,000 is the title and the chapter verse is Matthew 14 verses 13 through 21. This is told in actually this account, this miracle is in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, remember when you're reading the different Gospels, you'll you'll see different things in different ones. That's not because they wrote something different and one guy's right and one's wrong. It's that the Holy Spirit inspired each person to write their book and they're looking at it from their perspective. So they may see something a little bit different. Uh, then Mark may have seen something a little bit different than Matthew did or vice versa. So I will also go to a little bit of that so you can see that what it says in the different books as well. So Matthew chapter 14 verses 13 through 21, let's pray over the word. Father, we thank you for this time together. We pray over, over your word, which is living and active. I pray that it would go out and build the faith of those who are listening It would encourage them, challenge them, instigate them to a new uh, passion-filled life for the things of God. We thank you, Jesus, that you have all authority, and may you be blessed, may you be honored by this as we talk about uh, this great miracle that you took, that you caused to take place on behalf of this group of people. So we thank you and praise you for all these things in Jesus' name. Bless your word. Amen. It says this, it says, now when Jesus heard about John, that's John the Baptist. He withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. So now he's trying to get away. Um, and when the people heard about this, remember, Jesus had a very hectic ministry schedule. So he's traveling all over and he's preaching and he's laying hands on the sick and he's casting out devils. And, you know, remember, he's all God, but he's all man. So there's a humanist side to him that I'm sure got very exhausted. We saw that in the Count last week about him calming the storm, that he was asleep in the back of the boat. So it says, he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. And when the people heard about this, they followed him on foot from the city. So he's on the boat. They're following the boat on land. Verse 14, when he came ashore, he saw a large crowd, and you're going to see how big this crowd was in a minute, and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. And believe me, everybody that Jesus prayed for got healed. So verse 15 15 says, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, This place is secluded, and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away. They're telling Jesus this. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Verse 16, But Jesus said to them, They do not need to go. You give them something to eat. Ooh, verse 17, they, and they said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. That's the key. Bring them here to me. Verse 19, and ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up towards heaven. We're going to learn later. He blessed the, He blessed this moment. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. And, and they all ate and were satisfied. Remember that word, satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces. Interesting. There were 12 disciples and there's left over 12 full baskets. Verse 21. There were about 5,000 men who ate Besides men and women, we'll get into all that. He's they they list five thousand men, but there's women and children there. So we will. I won't get ahead of myself. I'll try not to. Um, So it says when he heard about John, what did he hear about John? Well, he could have heard that about the death of John, or he could have heard that Herod considered himself to be John, who was risen from the dead. We're not sure exactly what he heard about John. Uh, It says he withdrew from there in a boat to a secluded place by himself. John. The book of John, chapter 6, verse 1, says he went to the other side of the sea. Luke, chapter 9, verse 10, says this is Bethsaida, which is on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. So some other versions give a little bit more specific uh, aspects, and then Matthew will do specifics when they don't. So their private time with Jesus is in the boat. That's why he got into the boat, was to have a little bit of time away. Uh, that seems to be a lot of the times the only time they would have rest that him and the disciples uh, f- from all that was going on. that was that was their time to experience rest. Um, although Matthew says by himself, comparison Luke 9:10 says, taking with him he withdrew by himself. So the disciples were probably in the boat with him. Mark six verses thirty through thirty one indicates, again, the disciples were also with him, having returned from their tour of evangelization, and they report to him all that they had done and taught. So they're all tired. I'm sure I've been on evangelistic field before, and these guys were human like me, and I'm sure they were exhausted from that. So they're all on the boat trying to get away, trying to have some private time. But here comes this mass of people. I mean, it's a mass. 5,000 people. First of all, imagine 5,000 people. That is a lot of men. 5,000 men were following them while they're on the shore, but it was not just the men, it was the men and the women and the children. Um, in Mark, Jesus called his disciples, in Mark six thirty one, come away by yourselves to a secluded place and rest a while, for there are many people coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So again, we're seeing in these other versions really what they were experiencing and I will say this, every weary Christian worker needs to hear these words by Jesus. It's important that we all get alone from time to time to hear God's voice, to refresh ourselves physically and mentally. We need times when we— so one person said, smooth out the wrinkles of our soul and get alone with God and refresh our bodies and then get ready to serve the Lord again. Very important that Those that are out doing the work of the kingdom uh, take time to experience uh, a time of rest and refreshing of their bodies and of their spirit man. And then it goes on to say, when the people heard of this, they followed him on foot from the cities. So they went by sea. They're following him on land. Um, The Jews who were following him on foot from the cities were for the most part not genuine believers. These are more, I would call them fair weather disciples. They're with him in the good times, they're gone in the tough times. Uh, Verse 14 says, when he came upon shore, when he came ashore, he saw a large crowd and felt compassion for them and healed their sick. There is so much in this account. That's why I love it so much. There's so much depth in this. so you consider the fact that Jesus sought this secluded place, so he and his team could rest a while. Um, you you would have think it have been very tempting to ignore the crowd or to tell them to go away. I have been in these situations where you're real, you are just flat out exhausted, and then you go overseas and you're ministering, and the church that brings you in will want you to do one more. Well, you can you go do this, and you're already so burnt, you're so tired. People who don't do ministry, uh, they don't understand how emotionally and physically draining it is to give of yourself. You're know, you expending your body and you're really tired. And uh, so it had been really easy. If we really think about the truth, it has been really easier for them just to ignore the crowd. But Jesus, as Jesus is, he felt compassion for them. Um, You know, maybe knowing time is short, he's always seeking to redeem the time. And so should we. He demonstrates to all of his disciples, disciples then, us now, that our disappointments, in other words, there are no rest in this case, are often God's appointments. Um, and again, this is the one miracle that's found in all four Gospels. Jesus saw the crowd with God's eyes and with God's heart of compassion. I, I have put down this thought for all of us. Jesus' response to the crowd should teach all of us. Um, as his disciples, this is, this is I understand this too, to understand that flexibility is an important attribute if we are to walk in his footsteps. What do I mean? A little bit of kind, of, kind of what I just said. Can you go do another one? Can you go speak to this group? I know you're tired and you haven't eaten the whole day, but can you go talk to them? So I asked the question, are we able to cope with sudden changes in circumstances? We have to be able to be flexible when we're out there on the field. It's not always easy. How do we respond when unforeseen circumstances force a change in our ministry plans? How do we react when our plans are unexpectedly interrupted? Uh, I think it's a great point. It's a great thought to have, especially for those of you who are out doing ministry. Um, We need to go out and do it with with the idea of being flexible. I've been, you know, again, whether it's abroad or whether it's here, You are just exhausted from the ministry of that night. And then the next day, you're not supposed to do anything. Someone, they call you on phone. Hey, can you come? We're going to go to the park. And can you go help us witness? So there's a flexibility issue there. Um, It's an unforeseen circumstance that's come up. But like Jesus, he could have pushed them away. And it would have been very understandable, but he didn't. He went out and began to pray for them because he saw them with his eyes, with God's eyes, and saw that what they were, the state they were in, Uh, many of them lost, many of them needing to see the power of God operate in their lives, and uh, he had compassion on them. It says he saw, that word in the Greek is he beheld, he observed. So the idea here in the Greek word is to gaze or look with interest and purpose, carefully examining with emphasis on attention to details and thus to behold intensely or attentively. So he saw this crowd. He was intensely seeing how they were, what they were like, what they were going through. He had attention to details. He could see into their lives what each one of them needed, and he felt compassion for them. Mark 6.34 alone explains why Jesus felt compassion. It says, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. He saw that. They were like this horde of people, he looked at them and saw a group of sheep that were without a shepherd. And sheep without a shepherd are sheep that are in great danger. And it may not have been physical danger here, but spiritual danger of going to a Christless eternity, uh, have they died without Jesus in their life, not believing on him. So literally they're in danger of falling off a cliff into a Christless eternity. So he felt compassion, Um, shepherdless people shepherdless sheep are people trying to navigate the perils of life on their own. And understand one thing about sheep, they are not very smart. Spiritually speaking, the crowds had no one to lead them on the path of true life or eternal life. So Jesus was crook he was coming for rest, but he quickly adjusted his mindset. John MacArthur, the great Bible expositor said he must have felt much as he did when he approached Lazarus's grave and wept in John 11:35 and when he looked out over Jerusalem through tears and said if you had known in this day even you the things which make which make for peace but now they have been hidden from your eyes Luke 19:42 Charles Spurgeon said we do not know what sort of people they were but this we do know he did not exempt one because of any flaw in his character but when Jesus Christ but when, but when did Jesus Christ wait until men, but when did Jesus Christ wait until men deserved it before he blessed them? So once I got it right there, it's a powerful statement by Charles Spurgeon. So he felt compassion on them, right? That Greek word means to experience a deep, visceral feeling for someone, to feel compassion for, to feel sympathy, to take pity on someone. So he had this very deep, visceral reaction Uh, to these people when he attentively looked upon their lives and saw such great need in them. The verb here in the Greek, compassion, expresses an outward flow of one's life in contrast to our natural tendency toward self-centeredness. But Jesus, man, he could have pushed them away but he said "I." he felt compassion for them because he saw them as they really were. We need to look at our own lives like that and really begin to see people for who, where they really are. It says, and he, and healed their sick. So whenever Christ healed, it always validated the truth that he was, when he taught them, he taught them about the kingdom of God. So he explained how they could get, gain entry into the kingdom by repenting and believing, but the healing miracles that he did Validated the truths that he taught. And that's the beauty of when he tells people to go out, be my witnesses. You're going to move in my power, lay hands on the sick. The whole aspect is yes, the benefit of the sick person being healed, but there's a validation there that the power of God is operating and that the truths that are being taught are really of the Lord. Amen. So Jesus postponed his rest, his privacy his time alone with his disciples, and and even his time with his father in order to meet the needs of these helpless people who were suffering. Now, the disciples may have looked at them and not seen suffering going on, but remember, Jesus is all God. So he sees the very inner aspect of all of us. He saw them suffering. So this feeding of the 5,000 was a miracle that was born out of compassion. It is a miracle that was born out of compassion. He was moved by the physical and spiritual needs of the people. He was not content to teach them and then send them on their way. He was not content just to teach them and then send them on their way. That's a big deal. Uh, that's That's a good word for me. Verse 15 says, Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this place is secluded and the hour is already past to eat. Send the crowds away so they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. So it says when it was evening, evening. when this is, is not certain. Mark 6.35 says when it was already quite late. So I, I one person I saw was reading something. He said the, there were no fast food places open. I didn't want to put that in there because I thought it was kind of corny, but I guess you could say that it was really late, and there probably wasn't many places. If they went to stores or however they attained their food, uh, they probably couldn't find many places open anyway. The disciples came to him, it said, and said Luke. In Luke, it says the twelve came and said to him, "This place is desolate, and the hour is already late. And since the hour is late, the crowds need to hurry to their villages before the stores close." Basically, so the Lord of all creation, what did he do? What, what's happening here? He's setting the stage. For this great sign, which clearly points to his deity. Tell me this shouldn't tell the people who Jesus really is. When you get through this whole account, how could this not have convinced the people there that he truly was the Christ? So he's setting this whole stage up. So on that, I'll give you another thought. So if we apply this truth, you wonder how short-sighted the disciples to send those wanting to send those away who were hungry and so I think about us, we need to imitate Jesus and seek to meet their need. Jesus sometimes gives seemingly impossible challenges, but we need to give them something to eat. We need they alone. We alone have the bread of life that satisfies the soul. So sometimes we need to, again, an unseen circumstance, we need to step into that. It's, a, it's actually a, a great opportunity. And notice the contrast between Jesus' attitude towards the multitude and that of his disciples. Jesus welcomed them. They were saying, "Send them away." You know, I, I get it. They're 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 all human. They're not they're not God and man. They're all human. They're probably terribly exhausted. They were probably so hungry themselves, and they're just saying well, they don't see any option here. They don't see an option of Jesus doing anything. There's nothing. They're they're living in little faith again because they're not understanding who they're with. So they're seeing no possibility of anything happening for these people. So that's why they're saying send them away. At Least give them a chance to go back and get something to eat in their villages. Whew, they were spent. These guys were these guys needed a break and they're just saying listen, we we can't do anything. Just send them away, let them try to get something to eat there and we'll go on our way. Verse 16 says but Jesus said to them, they do not need to go. You give them something to eat. Wow. So John's gospel adds some details not found in the other gospels. In John 6, John chapter 6, verses 5 and 6, it says, Therefore Jesus, lifting up his eyes and seeing that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these may eat? This he was saying to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. But he's questioning Philip on this do you have any uh, do you have any inkling here of what I'm able to do or what I'm about ready to do? Um, so he said they, G, but Jesus said to them they do not need to go away this was I imagine this shocked the disciples. they don't need to go away. you give them something to eat and the emphasis in the Greek is on the you. that's the first thing in the sentence you give them something to eat. So now comes the real test of faith for the twelve, right? Give here is a command and the aorist imperative, calling for them to do it now and don't delay. Do it now. Give them something to eat. Put yourself in the sandals of these disciples. Imagine that there with up to 20,000 stomachs growling in the background and Jesus says, you feed them. Remember, 5,000 men, I mean, even if, what, a third of those were married and they had two children, you're looking 15, 20,000 people are in this crowd and Jesus is saying, don't send them the way, send them away. you do something about it. He knows actually he's the one that's going to do it. So the disciples had commanded Jesus to send them away. That was also a command, but Jesus' commands, I think is uh, takes precedence over there as he's saying no, you feed them and do it now. And one Bible commentator said, if they remembered the miracle of the wine in Cana in John chapter 2, they should have asked Jesus to meet the need, not send the people away. So Jesus turned water because there was, a, there was a need there. He literally did a miracle over nature, turned water into wine. So they already saw this, but they don't get it. That's why he looked at them in the storm when they're panicking, thinking they're going to die. And he goes, you men of little faith, have you not learned yet? Same thing here. Have they not learned yet? They've already seen him do thing, uh, miracle after miracle after miracle, and they're still not getting it. So they, they don't see this now as an opportunity that has been set up for Jesus to now do what only Jesus can do they look at everything in the natural they look at everything from their human perspective and all they know to do is to react that way and to think that way and so they're saying send them away there's nothing can be done for these people but they just did not comprehend again who they were with who they were in the presence of who Jesus was their faith is focused on their insufficiency rather than trusting in Christ's sufficiency so let that minister to you don't look and don't focus on your insufficiency trust in the master's sufficiency always don't look at your own insufficiency trust in his sufficiency that's what we're trying to be taught here trust in him and we're going to this is going to you're going to love this as we get into this so they were looking at their meager resources and they failed to look with eyes of faith at this sufficient savior they were looking at Five loaves and two fishes, and how could anything be done with this? Remember, he turned water into wine. They seen so many other things. You would think one of them would go, hey, Jesus, I bet you can do something about this. They didn't. They were reacting in the natural man, and they were saying, hey, nothing can be done here. They were looking at their insufficiency. They were looking at their inadequacies, not looking at the sufficiency of Christ. Um, Their faith was feeble, and Jesus would use this insufficiency to teach them his all-sufficient ways. The Life Application Study Bible says, do you think God would ask you to do something that you and he together couldn't handle? Don't let your, this is great for my wife and I right here, don't let your lack of resources blind you to God's power. It doesn't matter what little you have. If God's telling you to do it, he's with you. It's going to get done and he's going to give you the resources to make it happen. Somebody say amen to that. This is a lesson that we all need to be always reminded of because how many times have you seen God do something in your life? Man, you're rejoicing. You're all fired up for a while. And then all of a sudden you stop being fired up. And then all of a sudden something else happens and you forget what he did for you before. And now you go back into a panic thing again. And then he does something for you and gets you out of that. And, you know, provides for you and then wow yeah I'm gonna praise God and then a little bit later you're back to where you were before then something else happens and you forget what he did for you then and so we're supposed to be remembering all the time what God has done for us if he's done nothing but bring you out of your deadness dead in sin and bring you into new life you should be able to trust God to get anything done in your life he's God he hung the stars in the sky all right. He put the rings around Saturn. He gave the earth uh, a, 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 a oxygen level you know, for us to be able to breathe and live. He's, he can do anything. And he's trying to teach us this, and he's trying to teach his disciples this same thing. I'm God. I can get this done. I don't need, I don't, I don't care what you don't have. I can take care of, I'm all sufficient. I can take your little bit, and you know, I can make it work out. So always remember that. Uh, he's teaching the disciples that he's the God of the impossible. He is, because to them, I'm sure this looked absolutely like an impossible situation. He's showing them, not when I'm involved, I'm the God of the impossible. Listen, he hasn't changed, and he's still the God of the impossible, and he's he's still the God of any impossible situation that may be in your life. You know, we have so many people now uh, that we have, that we or friends with or acquaintances with that have been diagnosed with cancer, you know, he's the God of the impossible. Um, whatever experience someone's going through, he is the God of the impossible to hold tightly onto him and know that he can get you through anything. Um, listen, a, a great verse in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10 you know, and I'll just give you a truth here. I was, I'm going to go ahead and add this. I wasn't necessarily going to do this but I'll, and I'll read this. While there's no absolute guarantee that the circumstance that someone is in or the situation will dra- dramatically change, we, we pray and believe for God to do something. We can always rest assured that he's faithful in this sense. He says in Second Corinthians 12, 19, 9, 9 through 10, no temptation or no test is overtaking you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted or tested beyond what you are able, but with the temptation or the test will provide thee not a way, but the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. In other words, the testing circumstance may still be present, but you'll have the grace to make it. And that grace is always present with you. So know this, God is If you're a believer, you're in Christ, and he's with you every step of the way. No matter what you're going, all these people who've been given these reports of cancer, God is with them. He knows everything they're going through. But he wants us to know to not be people who constantly panic and don't ever see any way out of it, but to know that we are linked in with the God of the impossible. Amen. Verses 17 and 18 says this, And they said to him, we have nothing here except five loaves and two fish. And here's the key, said, bring them here to me. Bring them here to me. And we look at this phrase, we have here only five loaves and two fish. So again, they looked at their supplies and said, there's no way. There's absolutely no way that anything could be done with this situation. So the basic problem with these responses is that they look at what they possess and fail to look at Jesus. Have you got that yet? Quit looking at what you possess and look at Jesus. He can take your little and make it a lot. So some of the 12 had been with him again at Cana, um, and they witnessed this creative power, a creative power to turn water into wine. Why couldn't he do that same creative power now? Again, I've repeated this, and I'm going to do it again. They just didn't grasp all the other times they saw him do things that he could do it now. And that's what we got to always keep in our mind. He can do it now. He can do it over and over and over again. But we take our eyes off of him like... Peter did when he was walking on the water, and he started looking at all the circumstance around him. If he had just kept his eyes on Jesus, he wouldn't have sunk into the ocean, right? So they must not even—they're not even recalling anything. Rather, they're not recalling the creation miracle he did at uh, at Cana or any of the other miracles that Jesus did. They failed to trust Jesus for the provision. You always—we always, always got to trust Jesus for the provision. In short, they had a faith failure. Man, I don't want to live in faith failures anymore. Their eyes looked at what they had, not at what Jesus could create. He's the one that creates. They looked at they looked in their humanness at five loaves and two fish and thought, no possible way. This is ridiculous to even think about it. But they didn't look at Jesus being the creator and what he could create. God's way of provision always begins with what we already have. God's way of provision always begins with what we already have. He wants to use what we already have wisely. Don't foolishly pray for more from God if you don't use what he's already given you in a godly way. But God will use what you already have. So what you have, use it wisely. Jesus can create from that and make something impossible possible. So at this point, the disciples should have recalled again the many miracles that Jesus had performed. Um, Perhaps some of them did. Andrew asked in John chapter 6, 9, what are five loaves and two fish for so many people? How in the world is this going to accomplish anything? And Philip, it says in John 6, 7 exclaimed, it would take more than half a year's wages to buy enough bread for each one to have a bite. So they're looking at everything in the natural. They're looking at everything from their humanness not recognizing the one that next to them was the very creator of the universe who could make something out of nothing, which is exactly what he did. One one Bible commentator said, the first step is not to measure our resources, but but to determine God's will and trust him to meet the need. Read that again. The first step is not to measure our resources, but to determine God's will and trust him to meet the need. That's all this stuff I'm saying is, this is a great for me and my wife and I, who being in ministry, we're just believing for God to do great things. Well, you know what? We can't always look at what we have. we got to trust in him and know that if he calls us to do it, he's going to make it happen. It just That's just the way it's going to be. Christ can take our little and make it much. Moses' stick as an example, David's rock, Elijah's cloak, the widow's jar of oil, Samson's donkey jawbone, your monthly missionary support, your prayer, your individual tithe. Our means, his power. Our means, his power. What we must yield what we have, not what we don't have. It sounds obvious, but so often we make up excuses about why we do don't have, and we fail to offer to Jesus what we do have. How about some of these? If I just had more money, I'd give regularly to the church. If I just had the gift of evangelism, I'd witness more. If I just had the ability that others have, I'd serve the Lord. If I just, if I just, if I just. But Jesus didn't use all the bread and Bethsaida, which the disciples didn't have. He used the five loaves and two fish that they did have. He didn't go to any other source. He used what They had come on, somebody. He doesn't ask you to give him what you don't have, he asks you to give him what you do have. Whoa, somebody say hallelujah to that. Verse 19 And ordering the crowds to sit down on the grass, he took the five loaves and the two fish and looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowd. So Mark chapter 6, verse 40 says, they sat down in groups of hundreds and of fifties. So I I look at Psalms 23 when I see this. He's the shepherd we shall not want. He makes us lie down in green pastures. He made them sit down in the grass, leads us beside quiet waters, restores our soul, guides us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. says, and looking up toward heaven. So he was doing what every Jewish father did at a meal. He is showing that he, even as the son of man, looked to his father to meet needs. And that's an example that we all should follow. Charles Spurgeon said, Our Lord will not proceed till he has worshipped and rendered thanks. There is something in his glance and gesture. He looked up to heaven. What did that mean? Quote, O Father, these loaves and fishes are yours. You have given them to us. We thank you for them. And now, O oh Father, the power to make thee sufficient for the emergency comes from heaven. Grant it, we pray you. Could have prayed something like that, but he looked up. He looked up to heaven, and we find that he blessed and then he broke the loaves. Looking up towards heaven, this is a common physical position for the Jewish person praying. They're standing with arms and head raised and eyes open. And Jesus was showing that the source of his authority was the heavenly. Father. He blessed the food. Clearly shows us the example to follow. Acknowledging God as the source of all provision. Says in breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples. I love this part. And the disciples gave them to the crowds. Hear Hear this statement I'm going to make to you. The disciples and us today are not manufacturers. We are only distributors. Jesus manufactured the food. He gave it to them to simply distribute it. The miracle took place in Jesus' hands, not the hands of the disciples. The assurance that Jesus can provide, even miraculously, for all of our needs should be so wonderfully precious to all of us. No matter what we are going through, Jesus can meet us wherever we are and whatever the need is, he can meet that need. Whatever you're dealing with right now, man, he, this whole thing is for you. He's trying to show you, don't look at what you don't have. Look at who I am. Don't look at your inadequacy or your insufficiency. Look at my sufficiency. Just give me what you got, and I will turn this impossible-looking situation to you into something that is stark, that is absolutely a possible situation. The outcome will be made possible. And it's noteworthy that Jesus fed the people through the agency of his disciples. He could have simply snapped his fingers and caused everywhere, everyone that was sitting there to have a meal sitting in front of them, but he didn't. He gave to his disciples to distribute to the people. So in this way, the disciples had to trust the Lord for everything they distributed. I would, I, When I get to heaven, this is the one miracle. This is one of the things I want to see a picture, a, a scene, a, a movie of this, how this took place. Just that food coming out of that bath, those five loaves constantly being transformed into more food, more bread, more food, more bread, more food, fed 20,000 hungry people. Um, Philip and, and Andrew, the rest, they were put in this position of total dependence upon the Lord for his supply. And that's exactly where God wants to get us. He still uses people the same way today. He wants to get us to a place. You're in a good place when you have nowhere to run but to him. You're in a good place where you've come to that place finally, where you've been broken down to the place where you completely depend on the Lord to provide for you and to get you through your situation. That's a great place to be. That's a great place to be, that you know that he's the only source. The Preacher's Outline and Sermon Bible said this, the lesson is clear for every believer. Once we do our part, God will multiply our resources. There will always be enough to feed all. If we only confess our inadequate resources, give thanks for what we have, and then give what we have. So the lesson is clear for every believer. Once we do our part, God will multiply our resources. Amen goes on to say in verse 20 and they all ate and were satisfied and they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces 12 full baskets. So let me say hallelujah. And they all ate and were satisfied. So when Jesus feeds you, you will always be satisfied. He always gives more than enough. How about Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20? Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. That word satisfied in the Greek, it's a picture of animals who stayed at the feed trough until they wanted nothing more to eat. Man, shame on all of us for grumbling and complaining when the Lord is right there with us, ready to do what he wants to do and what he's capable of doing All we got to do is give him what we have and then completely depend on him and watch him come through over and over and over and over again. Amen. 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 It says, they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 full baskets. The 12 full baskets ensures that Jesus would also feed his own men. Nothing was wasted. Everybody was fed everybody all 15 to 20,000 people including the 12, they were all fully overflowing and satisfied. amen. Note that the miracle does not describe the crowd's reaction and therefore is meant primarily for the edification and encouragement of the 12. He wanted them to see look it this is what I'm able to do because he knew he was going to be sending them out as sheep among wolves. Remember the day of Pentecost comes? We talked about in the Holy Spirit series, the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Spirit's going to come. He told them to wait in Jerusalem till it came. Then they would be, once they get endued with this power from on high, they're going to be ready to go out and do ministry. He wanted them to be able to go out and do ministry and be his witnesses in this hostile environment, knowing, having seen what he has already accomplished and knowing if he's done it for them before, then he can do it for them anytime in the present and in the future. So he didn't only feed the 5,000, but he taught the 12, a very valuable lesson. And he's trying to teach you and me the same thing. See why this is such a great miracle account. I love it. Verse 21 says, there were about 5,000 men who ate besides women and children. Again, Matthew Matthew's account indicates there were more than five thousand men who dined with Jesus that night. Uh, he numbers the men at five thousand. Again, adds men and women. I said this many times. Closer to fifteen to twenty thousand people were on the shore following him when he's trying to get away after being doing all this ministry. He and the disciples are probably pretty exhausted. All these people are following. He moves to the shore. He looks at them with this attentively. Uh, with these eyes that can see down into our soul and sees the need and sees the hurt and sees the desire. And he has compassion on them. And they're saying, send them away. There's nothing can be done here. All we got is this. He's saying, you know what? I'm going to make something. I've just set the stage. I'm going to show you what I can do. I'm going to show you again what I'm capable of doing. I am the God of the impossible. He wanted to teach them the lesson to know that he's the God of the impossible. So when they go out and begin to work for him, now baptized, now filled with the power of the Holy Spirit after Acts 2, when they go out into the mission field and do what they're called to do, they're going out with the understanding that they have the one in them. They are working for the one who has the power to do all things. And that power, he told them, that same authority has been given to them. So the same authority they're looking at right now that's being done here, that same authority has been given to them. That's supposed to fill them full of faith. So when they go out, because they're going to need it when they're out in this hostile world trying to persecute them and kill them for sharing the for sharing the gospel, they needed, he wanted them to know who they who was with them. And it was the miracle worker. It was the one who was the God of the impossible, can make all things possible. So in spite of the people's rejection, Jesus, Jesus, it says in Matthew 5, generously fed them anyway, thereby, thereby providing a vivid illustration of God's common grace. What do I mean by that? In which he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. In other words, he even fed those in the crowd that were not believers. And again, this should have been something that showed all of them who he was. The problem with all of this, as we see throughout his ministry, he would do things for people, they would get all excited, and then they would fall away. But those of us who know him, who have been saved, who've trusted in him as our Savior, we cannot be like that. We have got to be people who know what he has done for us and that he can do it again and again and again. And remember this, it doesn't depend on what you have. He just wants you to give him you, what you have. And he will turn the rest of it into what he needs to get it done. Five loaves and two fish. He turned it around and fed fifteen to 20,000 people with that. Is that amazing? That's what he can do in your life too. So in closing, God will shatter our pint-sized expectations. Um, we need to learn to bring him what we have already been given. That's the great thing about giving. Sometimes they say the people in the church, you know, whether you, let's say uh, you're tithing or you're going to give, they, they say sometimes the people who have the most give the least and the, some of the people that have the least give the most. You just got to do with what you have. And God will, I'm telling you something, God will turn that around for you. I tell people all the time in the the many years of ministry I've been in, dealing with people in church, and they'll say, I don't make enough to give. I have bills to pay. And I tell them, listen, I get that. But if you just give him the little that you have, I will guarantee you, he will turn that around and give you more than enough. Those who buy into that, those who grasp that truth, see that come to pass in their lives. Those who don't continue in the same state they're in. Give him the little you have. And he will turn that around and do the absolute impossible with it because he's God. So we must never believe our resources are too little to serve God. We always have enough in Jesus name. God delights in taking a humble, seemingly insignificant person and using him for his or her glory. For his glory. Um, believers should also be reminded that their problems are never too large for God to handle whether you've been diagnosed with cancer, whether it's a financial thing. Uh, I'm sure there's a lot of, there were believers who just went through Hurricane Ian and God will restore to them. God will make it right with them. Um, I'm sure Andrew was wondering, uh, what good are we going to do with only five loaves and two fish? You know, of of course, theoretically, we all know, we've read the stories, you know, we all say, yeah, amen, God can do it. But the problem comes when we're faced with this practical outworking of the theory. And then people tend to doubt that God won't meet their need. Well, I'm telling you you this. You need to know it in theory, so to speak, but you need to know it in practicality. God can meet you where you are. God is still the healer. God is still the deliverer. God is still the provider. He is Jehovah Rapha healer. He is Jehovah Jireh. Your provider, he can make a. I've seen this in my life over and over and over again. Uh, my wife and I are givers. We continue consistently to give. God always meets our needs. He takes the little that we have and that we are willing to that we give to Him cheerfully, not begrudgingly, but cheerfully, and He multiplies that and and meets our needs. It may come financially. It may come in some other way. But he's always there to turn the impossible into something that's possible. We just got to understand who we are connected with. He's done it before. He can do it again. He's done it for you before. He can do it for you again. Know who Jesus is in your life. He is the one that has all authority. He has authority to heal the leper. He has authority to calm the worst possible storm you may be in. And he has the authority to take care of and provide for you. No matter what little you think you have, he can take those five loaves and two fishes and turn that around and turn it into a great overflow of harvest in your life. Trust in him. He can do it. He is the God of the impossible. Amen. Let me pray for you right now. Father, I just thank you for this time together. I thank you for this wonderful Bible account. Glory to God. We are so blessed to read these and to have our faith built and to realize that God, you set the stage for this. You set the stage. You saw the people, you came back to shore. You could have kept floating on the water and just yelled out, go away, go back home. You didn't, you came to shore, you had compassion on them, you looked at them intently. You you were attentive to their needs. You were attentive to their hearts and you saw what they needed. You set the stage for this miracle to show the 12 what you were capable of in their lives, what you're capable of doing through them when they were about ready to get out and go do ministry for you. I thank you today, Lord God. We understand what you are capable of today. Forgive us forever looking past your capabilities. Forever. Forgive us for looking at our insufficiencies and not looking at you as being the all-sufficient Christ. Forgive us for that. From this day on, we're going to look at you and know that you are the God of all sufficiency. Jesus, you are sufficient in all things and can make all things happen in our lives. All you want is for us to give you the little that we have, and you can multiply it many times over. We thank you for this. We thank you that our faith is built right now. May their faith be built. May your faith be built. My faith is is built today, and we thank you for that today. Holy Spirit, do a work in each one of us. May we not be men and women of little faith. May we be men and women of great and mighty faith. We thank you. We praise you for this. In Jesus' name, and everybody said together, amen and amen. Well, God bless you. I hope this has been a blessing to you. I'm going to have another one next week these things are awesome. Let your faith be built. Let your faith arise. Let your faith know. Let it be connected to who Christ is and know that Jesus can do anything in your life. Anything. Whatever may seem impossible to you, God can make it possible. He just wants to work with what the, what little you have and for you to look at him and know that he's the all-sufficient Savior. Amen. Until next time, live all out for Christ. God bless you.